there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, we are continuing with a series entitled Third Person. Uh, it's a series about the Holy Spirit. Uh, to begin with, let me uh, just share with you a little story. Uh, when I was a kid, like the elementary school age, um, I lived in and around uh, Washington, D.C., in that area, and I always lived in the, what was known as the low-rent district, kind of kind of like the ghetto, the projects, um, as, a, as a child. And my best friend uh, was a kid named DeVille. And now, DeVille was uh, half African-American, and he was half Mexican. Uh, his, his dad was African-American, and, and his dad kind of had this hard exterior shell, um, but he was really a good guy on the inside. And so um, he really reminded me, and it's probably going to go over everybody's head but me and maybe one other person, but he reminded me of Terry Crews' character uh, on the show, Everybody Hates Chris. Um, this this kind of hard exterior shell, but he was really a good guy on the inside. And to be honest with you, he was one of the few fathers that were still around. Well, DeVille's mom was from Mexico, uh, and she was kind of this beautiful, cheerful, boisterous woman with, with passion. Uh, she, she embraced life like nobody I'd ever met. She, she knew how to live and live in the moment, uh, and she was an excellent, excellent cook. Um, she cooked this uh, authentic Mexican food. Everything was fresh. It spoiled me from, from childhood. Uh, you know, she, she was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, woman. Well, I was a latchkey kid, and so when I got, got home, my parents were gonna, weren't going to be home for another three or four hours. And so uh, every day after school, uh, I would go home to take off my school clothes uh, we got like two pairs of jeans and three t-shirts for a year, and you were not allowed to wear those outside, uh, and I would put on my play clothes, and I would call DeVille, uh, and then I would go over to his house, and we would play. And so, uh, like clockwork, almost every time, I would call DeVille and say, hey, I've got my clothes changed, I'm, I'm on my way over, um, are you ready for me to come? And he'd say, yeah, and I would hear his mom every time say this, and a very thick, heavy Spanish accent, she would say, tell him to come hungry. And I would come hungry every time I ate that poor family out of house and home. Um, let me just pause for a minute and tell you, this is what I appreciate about you. You have come into this series on the Holy Spirit and you have come hungry. And I love that about you, not only here on Sundays, but our six-week spring study. Um, it went really well week one, and I was waiting for the week two crash. And we had, not only did we meet the same amount of people, but we had 10 extra people show up, uh, and everybody showed up hungry. Um, it is my hope for you that you not only know about the Holy Spirit, because of this series, but that you get to know him better. 
You get to, to know him on a deeper, more intimate, more personal level in your life. Because the Holy Spirit of God loves you far more than you can even begin to grasp. He loves you so, so very much. As we begin, I want you to notice uh, that I, when I refer to the Holy Spirit, it's always he or him. Uh, and that's because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. So if you were here for the first two weeks... Those verses that we've already looked at where Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, you'll notice he'll say, I will send him or the Father will send him when he comes. That, those are the words of Jesus um, and, and it's very, very important as we continue into this series, especially today, which is going to be a hard message, and next week, that you understand the Holy Spirit is a person with a personality that has your best interest at heart. He is a person with a mind, with a will, and with emotions, just like Jesus the Son and just like God the Father. Now, here is why this is so important. If you do not see him as a person, you will never develop a personal relationship with him. And so the Holy Spirit is very much a person. Uh, in fact, the name Holy Spirit is not really his name. It's more of his description. His name is really the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is his description. Just like we would say the Father to represent Yahweh God or the Son to represent Jesus. Um, so what happens, though, is when we oftentimes think or say uh, that the Holy Spirit is a force or an it, it depersonalizes him to us. All right, and so we've been kind of developing these series through The God I Never Knew by, by Robert Morris. And, and I love what Robert Morris writes in his book about this, um, about the, the, the Holy Spirit being called the Holy Spirit. He says he had a conversation with God one time and said, you know, I might not have named him the Holy Spirit. It might have been easier, God, if you named him something ordinary like Bill. Okay, so think about it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. Bill is a person. Uh, I'm going to talk to Bill right now, so it would be easier. Uh, and here at Elevate, we would call him Bill. But at the, the more formal churches, they would call him William. And then at the really, really wild churches, they would call him Billy, if that makes any sense. So I, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person who has a personality with feelings and with emotions. And so with that in mind, uh, the, the, the message this morning is entitled, Quenching and Grieving. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to begin to talk about what bothers the Holy Spirit. What causes the Holy Spirit to have grief or to be sad? All right. And, and I want to talk about two things that can happen. We can quench the Holy Spirit. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Now, they're similar, but they're not the same thing. And, and this came to light to me this week as I was like really kind of studying what the difference between the two are. Uh, they're similar, um, but they are also very, very different. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when we choose to ignore him. When, when he tells us, hey, you should go over here and do this, this would be right. And we say, I'm not doing that, no. That would be quenching the Holy Spirit, just ignoring him when he, when he tells us to do what's right. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when we choose to ignore him, even though we're saved, and we continue to do what is wrong. Okay, you see the difference? So if you were in like some type of theology class, um, they would say, they would use these two uh, uh, phrases, sins of omission and sins of commission, all right? Sins of omission are a category of sin that encompasses the sins of not doing what we're supposed to do, not doing the good that we were called to do. It was James, the brother of Jesus, who said this in James 4.17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay, now, that's the sin of omission. Sins of commission are a category of sin describing the things that we did that we shouldn't have done. All right? So every time we ignore him when he tells us to do right, we quench the Holy Spirit. When we purposely sin and do what is wrong, we grieve the Holy Spirit because he wants us to do right. So what I want to do real quick, and I should get you out of here uh, pretty, pretty quick today, is I want to talk about quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. Let, let's first all talk about quenching the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church these very simple words in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He simply says this, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, the word quench for us in the English has two meanings, right? Uh, one meaning is when you're very, very thirsty. You just think about the thirstiest you've ever been. Nothing is going to satisfy that thirst more than a cold, tall glass of water. When we drink that water, what happens to our thirst? It goes away. It quenches our thirst. It satisfies our thirst. Okay? That's one way to use the word uh, quench. That's not the way that the word is written in the text, though, because uh, Paul wouldn't say, do not satisfy the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. But the second way to use the word quench is to put out or extinguish a fire, to quench the flames of the fire. So when Scripture says, do not quench the Holy Spirit, this is what it's referring to. That fire that's down inside of us, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Um, we see at the beginning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, indwelling believers in the Bible, uh, he appears to them first as fire. All right, L let's look at Acts chapter 2 real quick, uh, verses 3 and 4. Uh, this is when the Holy Spirit falls on the 120 disciples just where Jesus told them, you just wait in this room and you'll know when the Holy Spirit comes. Well, he came. Verse 3. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. You see, the Holy Spirit's a fire. 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so this, this Holy Spirit, this person who lives inside of every true believer, he's a fire. He's a consuming fire, the consuming fire of God, all right? He is God that lives in us. God the Father is also a fire. Remember the burning bush uh, in the book of Exodus? I'll, I'll direct you to Hebrews 12, 29 that says this, For our God is a consuming fire. And so this burning fire characteristic applies to both the Holy Spirit, it applies to the Father, and we see it in the life of Jesus. Um, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he began to systematically appear to people. The day after that he died, there were, there were two guys, and they were walking uh, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, it's a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem, where Jesus died, to this uh, little city of Emmaus. And so in the early morning, they're walking and they're chatting about all that they saw happen during this Passion Week and all that happened with, with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this guy out of nowhere appears to them. All right, it's Jesus in resurrected form, but the, uh, Luke, the, the author of Acts, tells us that Jesus prevents them from knowing it's him. Okay, and so paraphrasing, Jesus is like, what y'all talking about? And, and they basically, their response is, have you been living under a rock? Like, have you not heard what happened in the city of Jerusalem? This great Messiah, this Jesus with all of these followers who could raise the dead and heal the sick and perform all these miracles, this Son of God, he has been crucified. He is, he is dead. Where have you been? Don't, d d didn't you hear about this? Jesus says, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and then he begins as they're walking to teach them all of these beautiful truths about God. They arrive to Emmaus and they ask Jesus, who they still don't recognize, to stay and eat with him. And here's where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up in the book of Luke uh, 24, verses 28 through 32. So they drew near the village to which they were going. He, Jesus, acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, and their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. <laughs> But look at verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? You see, all three, God is an all-consuming fire. Jesus is this fire. When he teaches it, it burns inside of us. The Holy Spirit came down uh, in flames. The Holy Spirit who is God, we talked about this last week, helps us to make good choices when we listen to him. The, 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 the power and the fire continually lead us to, to choose right. So when we choose not to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, when he says, hey, you should probably go over here and minister to that person, or you should probably pray for that person. When we say, uh-uh, that is quenching the Holy Spirit. So 
Uh, it's much like a, a water pistol uh, to a flame. All right? The Holy Spirit says, you know, you should buy that person groceries. You know they're struggling. You, you've got plenty. Uh, they could really use your help. Uh, that would be something good you can do. And we say, nope, not going to do that. We quench that fire. Or, or the Holy Spirit says, you have wronged somebody years ago, and it's, it's your biblical obligation just, just to go to that person and say, hey, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Do you forgive me? No, I'm not going to do that. We quench the flame. Or, or if the Holy Spirit says, you know, that person that, that, that you're in close contact with, that, that person that, that you have the connection to, when are you ever going to tell them about Jesus? Are you ever going to invite them to church? And you say, no, I'm not doing that. Okay, and so systematically, we begin to quench the flame of the Holy Spirit inside of us because we're not doing what he tells us to do. And so what you have is, you have the enemy, if I have enough water, it'll wipe out whole families. And, and, and they just quench the Holy Spirit. And it can run through a church. And just every believer, let's just put a little, I'm a terrible aim, put a little flame on the fire, I'm out of water. And before you know it, you have a bunch of people who come together on Sundays to feel good about themselves, but they have no fire of the Holy Spirit in them. They do church the way they want to do church with the music from like 1909. <laughs> this translation is the only translation. You better dress the way we dress. You better act the way we act. You better come in, be quiet, and then leave and don't cause a ruckus because, ruckus because we are happy the way we are. We're content. We're got, we just have barely a little spark left, like a, like a burning coal with just one little ember left, and that's good enough for us. We're going to heaven, and we don't really care whether or not you go to heaven. That constitutes a dead church. Now, I'll say this, pointing this gun at you. As long as I'm pastor of this church, we will not be that church. We will not. Because people need Jesus Christ. And the way they find Jesus Christ is through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit leads us to these people to stoke that fire inside of them and to edify them in their walk with Jesus Christ. So that's quenching the Holy Spirit. H have you ever heard the term a wet blanket? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm married to him, right? Yeah, like, like a wet blanket. Sometimes in my family, I can be a wet blanket. The kids are excited to do that. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. So the technical definition of a wet blanket is a person who spoils another person's fun by failing to join in or with or by disproving of their activities. We quench the Holy Spirit um, by being wet blankets. Uh, he, he says, you should do this. And we say, uh, oh, I, I don't want to do that. When we do that, it's like adding fire to the or water to the fire that's down inside of us. It quenches the work of the Holy Spirit. About four or five years ago, I was right up the road here at our um, Hiram Target and um, I was getting out of my car, and I was going to go into Target, and I was in a hurry. Every day of my life seems like I'm just rush, rush, rush. And so I got out of the car, and I was, as I was kind of making my way to the front, I saw this kind of younger mom, younger than me anyway, and she had one of those, like, I don't know what you call them, like baby papooses, 
right? And so she had this little baby kind of strapped to the front of her, and the little, you know, little baby's head was just kind of, she was walking. Uh, and she had two, two grocery carts. She was pulling one with each arm with this baby, right? And, you know, I say the baby's waddling. Uh, both of these grocery carts are packed to the gill full of, like, these, those plastic storage containers, all right. Well, on, on the side of this cart, there were two young kids. And on the side of this cart, there were two even younger kids. And so this, this lady had five children with her, these two carts. All right. And she's struggling. They're trying to run off. And she's trying to, you know, not give the baby whiplash that's here and, and, and you know, get the stuff to the, to the car. And, and I, I'm looking at it. And it is absolute pandemonium. But I've got five kids, and I remember those days when they were a little itty-bitty. So I looked, but I was in a hurry, and I felt, like we talked about last week, that prompting of the Holy Spirit, that push. And God said through the Holy Spirit, hey, you need to go help her out. And I don't want to do that. I'm late. I've, I've got stuff to do. No, you need to go help her out. So begrudgingly... I walked up to her and I said, hey, looks like you're having some problems. Uh, you know, uh, I promise you I'm not a creepy guy. Can I, can I, do you need help? Look, you know, can I help you load this stuff in your car? And she said, oh, that would be, that would be great. And she got the kids in the car and we were unloading these containers into the back of the, this, this minivan. Uh, and as we were unloading these containers, she began to unload on me. And she began to say, you know, man, I, I, I'm just having a difficult time. My husband got a new job in New Mexico. Uh, we're having to pack up. I've, I've lived in Georgia my whole life. We're, we're, we're having to leave, and I'm so stressed out with all these kids and this move. And then God's, God prompted me and said, you need to ask her if you can pray for her. And I, I was like, she might have even seen me shaking my head. I was like, uh-uh. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. She's going to think I'm weird. <laughs> You need to ask her to pray. So I said, hey, this is going to be weird, but can I, can I pray for you? All right. She was quiet for a minute, and then tears just started rolling down her face. And for a minute, I thought, oh, man, like she's some atheist, and she is like really upset, or, I, you know, what is going on here? Well, she began to tell me her life story, that she grew up in church around here uh, in Paulding County. That, that she had gotten away from the Lord like many people do when she was 18 years old. And she said, I got away from the Lord. I haven't been back. I feel so empty. My marriage feels so empty. My family feels so empty. Everything I do just feels dry and desolate. So I gave her one of my cards. And I said, well, you know, as circumstances would have it, I'm a preacher. I would love to have you come to Elevate Christian Church, but I know you're moving uh, but I'll, I'll continue to pray for you. Well, she never came to Elevate Christian Church, but about three months later, I received an email from her. And, and let me tell you how this came about. I had 17,000 emails in my account, and so I was deleting them the other day, and there's some at the very back that I save. At, well, she had sent me an email about three months after she moved to New Mexico. I just want to share her email with you. Because I don't get very many good emails. <laughs> All right, here we go. She says, Dear Pastor Kevin, I don't really know where to begin. I don't even know if you'll remember me. I was the woman you helped out in the Target parking lot a few months ago. 
I want to thank you for your kindness and your compassion. I know I was wrecked that day. It was by far one of the lowest points of my life. I don't handle change very well, and moving several thousand miles away from the only family and life I've ever known is crushing to my spirit. When you prayed over me, I knew God was calling me back to him. Long story short, the first thing we did when we moved here is we found a church. It's a wonderful church. We've already made so many dear friends. Another blessing is that my husband and I joined a small group. Our marriage is better than it's ever been. And though I am far from my parents, I feel better than I felt in over a decade. Thank you for not ignoring the Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping a struggling mother. Thank you for being light, Donna. I often think to myself, what would have happened if I had ignored or quenched the Holy Spirit that day? And she moved to New Mexico, beat down and broken, and she stayed in, in, in that state. And her husband and her children grew up in that environment. What would have happened if I acted like a wet blanket to the Holy Spirit and said, no, 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 no. I'm not helping her. I'm not praying for her. I would have quenched the Spirit. And who knows what would have become of that family. So that's the first thing. Do not quench the Spirit. When the Spirit leads you to do something, when the Spirit leads us to say something, don't say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. And here's where I'll kind of get back into Robert Morse's book a little bit. Um, grieving the Holy Spirit, we, we see this in Ephesians 4.30. Uh, most of us know this verse, but we might not know what it means. It says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right, do not grieve. What does grieve mean? It means grief. Grief is a feeling of great sorrow. All right, grief is something that's experienced by a person. Your car cannot experience grief. The grass growing in, in the field out there, it's a living thing, but it doesn't experience grief. Grief is something experienced by a person. So, when we say we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're doing something that causes the Holy Spirit, the person of God, to feel great sorrow. Did you know that we can make the Holy Spirit sad? I don't know if you did, but we can. We can absolutely make him sad. So the question I get asked a lot is then, the Scripture says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? What does that look like? What would I have to do to bring sorrow, to grieve the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> well, the, you know, the best way to kind of interpret Scripture is not through man's opinion, but through Scripture itself, especially in the context of wh where that Scripture is written. All right, so, so we're in verse 30 of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go back up to verse 25 and work our way down, and we'll see how we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood. What's falsehood? Lying. Some of your translations will say lying. Let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So when we lie, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. Be angry 
and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So when we have unresolved anger issues that lead to bitterness and betrayal and screaming and hollering and violence, that grieves the Holy Spirit. All right, so are, are you tracking with me so far? Lying grieves the Holy Spirit. Anger grieves the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Stealing grieves the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion so that we may give grace to those who hear. So corrupt talk. Gossip and betrayal and cursing and, and all these unholy things, that grieves the Holy Spirit. All right, now we're back down to verse 30 where we began. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now look at verse, the, the verse that follows, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. Wrath grieves the Holy Spirit. Anger we talked about. Clamor grieves the Holy Spirit. Slander grieves the Holy Spirit. Put away from you, among all of you, with all forms of malice. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So let me sum it up for you real quick. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Sin. Sin. Plain and simple. When a believer who knows better still decides to walk in their sin with willful disobedience that makes the Holy Spirit sad. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, why does this grieve the Holy Spirit? Why does this make him sad? Because the Holy Spirit loves you and me, and when we walk in sin, it's going to hurt us, so it makes him sad. Those of you who are parents here, if you saw one of your children do something that was going to hurt them, wouldn't that cause you some grief? It would if you're a good parent. So do you know what grief really is? Grief is a sadness that we feel when we lose intimacy with a person. That's why when, when someone that you love dies, we say you're in a period of grieving. All right, so when a person you love dies, you grieve because you've lost intimacy with that person. You can't call them on the phone. You can't text your mom and ask for advice. You can't see them and, and hug their neck. Uh, there's intimacy lost, and that causes grieving. So I want you to catch this. All right, We don't lose our salvation when we sin. Otherwise, we're all in trouble because between now and the time I die, I'm sure I'm going to sin at least one more time. At least. We don't lose our salvation, but we lose our intimacy with God. And this makes the Holy Spirit sad. It grieves him. I heard an old preacher use this illustration. A lot of preachers like myself still, still use it. Um, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, the, so the, the Holy Spirit, he wants to, uh, he, he, we, he comes to us. And he dwells in us, and he wants to get close to us. But a lot of times when, when we're still mired in our sin, here's what we do to the Holy Spirit. Stiff arm. 
We just stiff arm and say, no, 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 you stay over there. Uh, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, who I'm about to be with, the things I'm about to do, you stay over there. I don't, I don't want you anywhere around me. And so we stiff arm the Holy Spirit. Then our preacher calls us and says, hey, do you mind leading this Bible study or this small group? Or, or, or hey, do you want to sing on stage? Or, or, or do you want to lead this lift group? And so we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so we have him here. And then we say, no, 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 come. I need you, I need you to anoint me because I'm about to do some ministry. Uh, you know, I'm about to, to go feed the hungry and serve. I need your anointing. Come to me. Do you see the problem with that? Stiff arming and then trying to bring him close. Like, ladies, let's say you married a husband like that, all right, and he came to give, you came to, to, to get close to him, to, to, to give him a hug, and he throws his hand up on your forehead and says, you better go no further, stiff arm. But then the next day, he's in a good mood, he's all lovey-dovey, oh, I love you. Then the next day, stiff arm, back and forth, back and forth. Do you see how that would hurt the intimacy in your marriage? the intimacy in your relationship, it would be lost very quickly. Well, this applies to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Our sin makes him grieve. So, throughout the duration of this series, if you're having trouble still sensing and feeling and seeing the Holy Spirit work and move in and around your lives... Chances are it's because of sin, either sin of omission or sin of com commission, quenching or grieving. But if we listen to the Holy Spirit and walk in step with the Holy Spirit and we strive to not quench the fire and grieve his spirit, he will, be will begin to mold us and to the very person God ordained us to be. You see, God has a specific will for each and every one of us, but most of us never know that will because we don't get close enough and we don't listen close enough to that spirit, and the reason why is our sin gets in the way. But the Holy Spirit can begin to strip that away and mold us into the person we need to be. It is a long and arduous process it's a process that involves us stripping ourselves of our selfishness, our pride, and our fear. C.S. Lewis illustrates this beautifully um, in, in one of the Chronicle of Narnia books, The, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, in that story, if you've read it, there's a little boy named Eustace who becomes a dragon, but he wants to become a little boy again. Well, in order to become a little boy... Uh, he must undergo this tremendous amount of pain as the dragon's skin is pulled and peeled away from him. Only after he endures this painful process is he truly transformed from a dragon back into a boy. I know this all too well. Sometimes the sin that we take on becomes such a part of us that it requires that kind of ripping and tearing to free us. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that. Jesus saves, he sanctifies. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that to seek to hurt us. He does it to free us, to make us more Christ-like, 
He seeks to free us from our bondage. I did not have time to share this last illustration during the 9 o'clock hour, but I remember being a, an 18-year-old, uh, and I was, uh, I, I was not a good kid at all. Uh, I had so much sin. A lot of it was sexual uh, in my life as a, as a high school student. And I remember going to this youth group event with this guy at his church, and uh, they had kind of like this illusionist slash magician uh, and it was pretty cool. He gets up and he starts preaching. And, and as he's, pre- he's preaching on bondage, and as he's preaching, uh, his assistant begins to systematically wrap chains around him with padlocks, okay? And so by the time he's done, like he is literally from his neck to his feet, he has all these chains. I can't imagine how, hey, you know, he must have a strong back because, you know, he's all chained up, but he's still just, just preaching away and his hands are right here. He doesn't seem to be moving his hands and he, he gets into this. He's talking about being bound up by our sin and chained up and only Christ can set us free. And then in this great crescendo, he says, there is freedom in Christ and he throws his hands up and all all the chains fall on the ground. It was, it was really life-changing for me. But then I'll never forget what he said after that. He said, every one of you out there, he's talking to a bunch of teenagers, has something that has bound you. It has chained you up your entire life. And he said, if you repent, and if you come today, the Holy Spirit of God through the blood of Jesus Christ will set you free. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he will set you free. Robert Morris talks about this, uh, and he talks about the road to bondage, right? So we don't go in bondage the first day, right? We go in bondage down the road. You don't become an addict the first time you use. You become an addict down the road. And so we're on this road to bondage, and repentance is just simply turning around, letting Jesus loose the chains, and then go in the other direction towards freedom. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.